Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. Um, why don't I pause and just leave some space for questions about what I've shared so far, some of which I might answer now, some of which I might say, let's hold that and look at it in an hour or two when we're dealing with that topic. So if we could have a couple of mics. Um, there don't have to be questions, but I just want to leave space. If there's anything that you want to ask or clarify uh, at this point before we go on, so we're all together in this on the same page. Yeah, Nick. Just wait for the mic and hold it close to your mouth so everyone can hear you. Best ways to redirect second arrows. Okay, so Nick is asking, what are the best ways to redirect second arrows? Um, Stay tuned. Yeah, that's going to be everything else we do today. Wisdom, balance, compassion, investigation. Those are all ways to direct, and I'll be giving you tools for each of them. Uh, yeah, in the plaid shirt. Uh, how, when you say come and compassion, mm-hmm. how to deal with the isolation that can happen where you're taking the pain all into yourself and not wanting to reveal it? Mm. Maybe not want to face it mm. in here, but also not want to reveal it. And you can end up being pretty isolated. Mm. Thank you. What's your name? Nancy. Nancy, how many people can relate to what Nancy's saying, the sense of isolation? Just look around, please. Keep your hands up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very important question. Um, I'll say a few things in the moment, and then I think that that will be sort of woven through our day. Um, I think the first is just recognizing that experience itself as um, uh, a phenomenon. Like, like, uh, like just noticing like, oh, this is isolation f- around this experience. Just knowing that that's what's happening and, and, and acknowledging the pain of that. Not going into it, just acknowledging, just, oh, okay, this, this is hard. This hurts, feeling alone with this experience. Because that's the first step to being able to um, do something different. Is not just knowing that it's there kind of uh, peripherally, but really being willing to, to, um, to bring it in, into full view and go, oh wow, this, this is rough. That information acknowledging the pain of it. This is the first noble truth, being willing to include the suffering. That gives us the energy, gives our system the feedback to know, "Eh, I might want to address these conditions in some way. I might want to look at what are creating the conditions for the sense of isolation. Okay, and then then we start to actually step back and say, okay, what can I do differently here? How can I practice internally with wisdom to understand deeply that I am not alone, even though I might feel alone, that this is a universal human experience. 
How can I practice internally with that? And how can I practice externally to find community and connection, to find support? And, and, and within that, recognizing the, um, the stigma, right? The, the messages that we receive culturally that if we are sick, it's our fault. If we are in pain, there's something wrong with us, right? When we, when we actually uh, look at that message clearly, we can see that it's false. We can see that it's insane, right? It's the same thing as aging, that aging is something gone wrong, that we need to correct. That's insane, you know? But we have a culture that's obsessed with youth, and so we internalize that. So some of the isolation is cultural. It's how we've, it's how our, how we've been socialized to relate to the experience of illness, of, of, of pain, of aging. So there's a very powerful teaching in the, in the early texts about this, where um, the Buddha is sharing uh, a reflection of his process of practice before he became awakened. And... Um, He's sharing with uh, his disciples. He says, you know, um, before I was, I, I, I was awakened, before I had these deep insights, I was looking around and I saw someone who was very old and I became uh, shocked and disgusted and repelled by that person's form. But then I reflected on it and I, and I said, um, this person, uh, that I too will become old, is it, does it make sense for me to be shocked and repelled and disgusted by someone else who's old when this very thing will happen to me? That doesn't make sense. And then he says, and in that moment, the vanity for youth left me completely. When there was that insight of, oh, I'm the same. I'm not exempt from this. That's not, that's not that there's something wrong with this person and how, how terrible, oh, how awful, how sad to be that old. No, I'm not exempt from that. That's right here. And then the vanity, the obsession, the intoxication with youth. Put it down. And then he goes on to say, same thing. I saw a sick person. I was shocked, I was repelled, I was disgusted, and then I reflected, wait a minute, I'm not exempt from that. That's the same, right here. And then the vanity with health left me. The obsession, the intoxication with health put that down completely. And then the last thing he says is, I saw a dead body. And again, I felt repelled and shocked and disgusted. How awful. But then I turned it around and realized, wait a minute, that's, I, I'm not exempt, I'm the same. And then he says, the vanity, the intoxication with life I left me. I put that down. Health, uh, sorry, youth, health, and life. The intoxication with those things. And we look at our culture. What are the messages? Be healthy, be young, be vibrant. And if you're not, it's your fault. Something wrong with you, get your act together. You're failing. You're not doing it right. And you should be ashamed. 
you should hide that. Because who wants to see that? Ew. Right? So where does the isolation come from? It's a distortion. It's a distortion of reality that we've internalized. So addressing that, really recognizing it. And then, and then the practices that we'll be doing give us, will hopefully give you tools to work with um, shifting that experience and also um, meeting the pain of the isolation. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, over here. I appreciate the clarity of your framework, um, but it strikes me that it's very clear. And uh, clarity of mind is one thing that is difficult with opioids. So I wonder if you can speak to pain medication and... Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah. Thank you. That's a fascinating question for me. It's not one that I've um, practiced with directly, um, but it is something that I've received teachings about and, and considered... Um, clarity is uh, a conditioned experience. It's, it, in other words, it's it's one way that the mind can function, and uh, there can be a pleasantness to it. But it's not the goal, and it's and we beca- we can become obsessed with it. We can become overly focused on it. So the first thing is to just recognize that. Um, you know, I like clarity. It's one of the ways my mind works. Um, so to, to just recognize if there's a preference for that clarity and to, and to actually, again, to have right view, to not uh, believe that one is better than the other. Uh, I think that's the first step. Because if, if that's the view, everything else that comes afterwards is going to be slightly askew because we're going to be meeting that experience and trying to practice with it to correct it. So it shouldn't be this way. I should be. How do I get out of this deficit? Right? So that's kind of the first thing is just, okay, what am I thinking about this thing? Right? The practice is to see things as they are, not as we wish them to be. So the mind is fuzzy. Oh, that's how things are. So... Um, Joseph Goldstein, who is uh, one of the teachers in this tradition and a mentor of mine, he uses this analogy of talking about practicing with um, uh, delusion, confusion, um, as like it being like a fog. When you shine bright lights on fog, what happens? It almost like it gets thicker. It's harder to see through it, right? When you, when you sh- try to shine a lot of... But a mirror just reflects the fog. If there's a mirror there, it, it, it sees the fog just as it is. So that's what, that's what we're looking for, is just that sense of being able to know the fogginess, the muddiness, just as it is. That there can be an awareness of the confusion and to, and to incline more towards that knowing. And this is very powerful. This is a very important part of our practice. And it's something that we all experience. How many people feel sleepiness sometimes when you meditate? How many people hate that? <laughs> Don't hate it. Use it. 
How clear do you think your mind's going to be when you're dying? You think you're going to be alert and clear? What are the chances? Right? We're probably going to be in pain. We might be confused. We might be fuzzy. How, how well have we practiced to be with those states, with balance? Right? So it's a very powerful opportunity, actually, whether it's just kind of ordinary hindrances of sleepiness in sitting or, or more of a kind of continual condition created by various circumstances, whether it's a neurological challenge or opiates, um, to then actually work with it and use it to cultivate awareness, compassion, all of the things that, that come along when we meet an experience. Yeah, thank you. So maybe we'll take one or two more. Uh, yeah, please. Hi. Hi. Thank, thank you very much. That was... Helpful. In, Great. Invaluable. Wonderful. And Great. Nobody has ever said to me before, work with the fog, don't uh-huh. hate it. Because I've been struggling with it for 10 years. So, mm. But I have another question, which for me, the notion of the stigma internally or externally around blaming the person for being mm-hmm. sick or mm-hmm. in pain. The other side of that is the attitude of the medical profession, which is that you're a helpless victim mm-hmm. and you have no responsibility for what's going on mm-hmm. in your body mm-hmm. and just, you know, just surrender yourself. And there's a subtle way, and I maybe it's not so subtle, in which Buddhism sometimes encourages a kind of passivity and quiescence that doesn't, and, and, and in what you just quoted from the Buddha... Like, this is the way it is, be right, with it, right. so don't fight it. Right, so what you quoted it. with the Buddha about uh-huh. um, the intoxication uh-huh. of life. Uh-huh. The uh-huh. other side of that, of course, is what Keats called being half in love with easeful death, which is very easy. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Would you just say that part again? The poet John Keats talked about yes. being half in love with easeful death. Yes. And that, to me, is almost inherent in Buddhism, that the world life basically sucks. And what we really want to do is be gone off the wheel of life and get out of craving and get out of intoxication. I know there's a teaching about chanda and healthy desire. And so, did I, I'm sorry, I'm talking no, too long. No, it's great. So just, just rewind what you were saying just a little bit and just stay with for a moment that sense of get off, get out. Just, just kind of let yourself hear that and feel that. It's there in the sutras, isn't it? In you, right now. Don't, yes. don't, don't go there. Okay. How does that feel? What's that like? That sense of like, this sucks, get out. What's that experience like for you? Is that pleasant? It doesn't stay there. It goes to how beautiful it would be to just be gone and uh-huh. how easeful. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And then before that, the, the, the place of the like, this is awful get out what's that what is that experience to you that's tense great know that 
that is uh, not the message of the teachings. Oh, I know that. Right, but just it's a very it's a very important to see that movement of your heart and mind. That's called vibhava tanha. It's called the vibhava tanha. It's the Pali. It's called. Uh, it means the uh, uh, the thirst to get away from the yearning uh, to uh, for something to not be. To not, ex- to, to, to not exist. It's one of the primary drives of the, of the psyche. It's one of three primary drives, the, those, those being the thirst to exist, the thirst to, um, to be something, to become something, solid, the, th- the thirst for the opposite, for something to, to get away from something, to make something go away or to just find the off switch. To just turn every, just, just stop, just stop, just stop. That, that feeling. And then the third is the thirst for pleasure. The thirst for um, sense pleasure. Right? These are, these are natural impulses that we have and they drive us. So what you're speaking to is a very uh, is 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 an off, often misunderstood and misconstrued aspect of the teachings because it's a subtle teaching. It's not. It's the middle path. It's not get get off, get out, which is how the, how, how Buddhism is often characterized or understood. Um, but it's not. It's it. Nor is it um, like. Uh, the kind of new age message we find of uh, you know mindfulness helps you to fully enjoy life, right? That that, that can that can get um, off off center too, where it's like you know suck the marrow out of life, as Thoreau said. Um, there's it's it's a middle. It's in between those two. There's this, this is the wisdom part. It's the sense of being with it, being fully with an experience. Um, but not getting caught up or entangled in it, or or not trying to um, not feeding on it, the way we can kind of feed on something that we, you know, we really, we just we just there's that sense of kind of getting like sucked onto it, you know, like when something's good and we just that that feeling is, but just a sense of being with it, just being in it, being with it, like when you're. Um, Experiencing often these experiences come naturally uh, in nature when there's some kind of wonder, uh, like a marvelous sunset or a beautiful view, and there's that sense of just this kind of presence and awe, where we're really fully right there, and we recognize that it's it's so evanescent. We can't hold on to it, you know. You you can't you can't capture it that sunset or that view. And so we're really right there with it. And so there's that fine line, there's that, there's that, there's, we're, we're, we're acutely aware of impermanence. And, that, and, and then there's the poignancy. So there's the death and there's the life and we're, and we're there with both. That's, that's, that's what the teachings um, are, are aiming to help us uh, understand and inhabit is this, this, it's a kind of a poise 
of being. Does that address for you some of of what you're bringing forward? I'll think about it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So um, there are probably more questions and we'll take more time to continue having this kind of uh, free-form exploration. Um, I want to talk a little bit about wisdom, uh, but maybe first let's take a five-minute movement break. Um, So just to kind of stretch your body, stand up, move your legs. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.